This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one. With Nicole Claggett, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. Jason Kong here with the lovely Nicole Cleggett. Oh, you remembered. Yes, I did remember, <laughs> Nicole. How could I forget that you're the lovely know. Nicole Cleggett representing uh, Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. Nicole, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. You know, I've I've survived two weeks of painters being in my house while living in it. Oh, bless your heart. So I, I am I am dressed. You are. No uh, no no paint marks no, on you. You're no you're clean. This is good. Me. Uh, yes, I have. I managed to find a curling iron. I think I'm doing all right. <laughs> Every w- you've made it through the day, Nicole. You just got to get through this hour, and then your your the coast is clear. You know, I, I sit here and I think about wow. You know, what's it like when somebody moves, or or, or you know, that's what it felt like. I was moving, and, and but I still lived in that home. So it makes you think about what's it like when somebody's trying to make a choice to go to a long term care community and moving and all that up- upheaval with that. Because I've certainly felt it this week with myself, the flu in my house a couple weeks ago. Luckily, that's all passed, and uh, three kids, and it's been exciting times. Yeah, making a choice like that can be overwhelming, and there's a lot of factors that go into it, and that's why we brought in an expert, and that expert is Bill Lamb. He's the executive director of Friends of Residents in Long-Term Care. Bill, welcome to Aging Matters. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate being here. I appreciate the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. We love having you here. Nicole, uh, get us started. Yeah, so I'm super excited. Bill Lamb has has been a uh, fixture in the long-term care community for his entire career, and it's quite an honor to have him here in the studio with us today. We could talk for hours, and I've while sitting here, I discovered so many things I have in common with him already, so um, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be letting him go too easily after the show today, for sure. But we have other things to talk about. We right? do, like right. bees. Right. So exciting. Right. Um, so, But why we're here today is you represent an organization that's actually been around in the community for quite a while, and it's Friends of Residents and long-term care, and that sounds like an interesting title. What exactly does right. that mean? It's, it's a long title. Sometimes we wonder about changing our names, but it, it does describe who we are and what we're about. Um, Friends of Residence is a, a citizens advocacy group, and we've been around actually for 30 years. Uh, we started in, in Winston-Salem. We had a Reynolds Foundation grant, oh, wow. and the there's a, a group, the Long-Term Care Ombudsman, helped start us get off the ground. And uh, our first three years was in Winston-Salem. And somehow we figured out that Raleigh is the state capital. So we moved, <laughs> we moved, we moved to Raleigh. And the beacon of light. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we've been here ever since. And our, our, uh, our motto is quality care no matter where. Uh, so we, we look at the, the whole spectrum of care from home and community-based care to uh, assisted living, to adult day health, adult day care, and nursing home care. And we, we provide several services. One is we, we respond to calls uh, from the public, from family members usually, but sometimes from, uh, from nursing home or assisted living residents. Um, we make public presentation, try and raise public awareness around long-term care. And uh, then we have uh, uh, advocacy goals. Every year we work with the General Assembly around uh, laws and regulations that apply to uh, long-term care settings. settings. And uh, mostly assisted living, the, <clears throat> the way it works out nationally, 
with Medicare Medicaid certification standards for nursing homes are pretty much universal across the United States. So a nursing home in North Carolina looks like a nursing home in Virginia. That is not true of assisted living. It's the Wild West. Every, <laughs> every state has to figure out assisted living. And uh, so our attention tends to be more on, on the policy side on assisted living because our, our state is the one who's either drafting laws or making regulations that apply to and frankly, you know, every state's the Wild West within assisted living, but it also seems within the state, it's still the Wild West because oh. truly, I mean, they're not apples to apples and they provide, well, they have a base level of care they're supposed to provide, exactly. depending on staffing levels and what have you, you could have an assisted living that caters more towards your just general frail older adult all the way up to people really needing a tremendous amount of assistance and feeding and what have you, depending upon you know what that organization's willing to staff. So um, that is a huge challenge for families to really try to navigate, especially when they're thinking about the diagnosis of their loved one, because you don't want to place somebody in a place that's not going to be able to care for them, because Ex- keep, keeping the transitioning them is never a good thing. Exactly, and the the it becomes even more complicated because oftentimes you're having to make a placement decision under pressure. Yes. It's, you don't just wake up one morning and need to be placed in a, uh, a nursing home or assisted living facility, but usually what what happens is that there's a healthcare crisis. Mm-hmm. And the, if, the fall or the right. hospitalization. It's exactly, and, and the, the, so it's usually a family member that's put in a position of having to make a placement and their mom's in, in the hospital and the discharge planner comes down the hall and said, you know, Monday your mom's going to a long-term care facility. Here's a list. Mm-hmm. Go get them. Exactly. Exactly. And right. so, you know, one of the things that I, w- I would love to touch base with you on really has to do with how do we make that choice? How do we how do we prepare to care for that older adult? Um, obviously, and we talk about this on the show a lot. As human beings, we're not trying to think about what's going to eventually happen to us. We're just trying to you know make it through each day, and we're kind of crisis oriented. We you know exactly. there might be that nagging pain in your side, and you just ignore it and ignore it and think it's going to go away, and then the next thing you know, it's you know a stage four cancer, and because you just didn't deal with it, so we just handle everything that way. Unfortunately. But in a perfect world, you know, if we're really trying to teach people how to prepare to care, what types of things do we need to think about when we're trying to decide on a placement for a loved one? Because I know when I started in the industry several years, I should say decades ago at this point, I'm sad to say, um, assisted livings weren't even an option. I mean, they didn't even exist. It was literally nursing home level of care or care at home. Right, right. Well, the the decision-making in some ways is parallel between nursing homes and assisted living. In other ways, it's very different because of the different kind of care uh, that's involved. So let's, let's talk about the parallels, the sure. things to be you, you would think about, whether it's a nursing home or an assisted living facility. So the, the, the first thing to, to be thinking about is, is there any information you can get about the quality of care that's being provided in that facility. And for nursing homes, there is a, a federal resource that you can find online, and that is uh, Nursing Home Compare. You can go to the Health and Human Services or to the Medicare website and find that. Uh, there is a star rating system for, uh, for nursing homes, and you can, based on those 
rating systems, you can find out actually quite a bit about the kind of care that, that facilities provide, uh, whether or not there's been any regulatory compliance issues, uh, whether or not the facility is meeting or exceeding staffing patterns, you know, things like mm-hmm. that. Um, it gets a little more complicated for assisted living, but North Carolina is one of the few states that actually has a similar kind of a program. We have a star rating system for uh, assisted living facilities. You can look that up on the Adult Care Licensure Section's website. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a little different than the nursing home compare uh, rating system. There are quality indicators in the nursing home compare mm-hmm. site. The star rating system for the assisted living or adult care homes is more like a restaurant rating. It uh, it essentially it's true. well it's true yeah so the they had this the, many dented cans in their kitchen well exactly exactly so the. It's based on, it's a four-star rating system, and any facility that has not been had any regulatory compliance issues in two, two years actually gets four stars. So the way I talk about it with families is the uh, uh, Sullivan Steakhouse in Raleigh mm-hmm. and McDonald's mm-hmm. may both have a 100% rating. Where's the better quality? <laughs> but it's the food the same. Exactly. So... The, the rating system for assisted living, and it's important to look it up, uh, can tell you that this facility has not had regulatory issues. If you see a rating of three stars or two stars or one star, you better start asking questions. Sometimes the difference between four stars and three stars is really not an important issue to you. Mm-hmm. That there was a there were regulatory compliance issues that may have to do with the building right. that may have that, that are not care related right. issues. But when you start getting into two stars and one star, it's time to start asking serious questions about what's what's going on behind that. Mm-hmm. So looking up information is is important with the time that you've got available, it's important, if you can, to make a visit yourself. And I want to pick up on that right after the break. We'll do just that with our guest, Bill Lamb. He's the executive director of Friends of Residents in Long-Term Care. And we'll continue our conversation right after this break. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights, here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. You can find more information about Transitions Life Care at transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. Our guest here in the studio is Bill Lamb. He's the executive director of Friends of Residents in Long-Term Care. And Nicole, just before the break, we were talking about the two different rating systems between nursing home care and assisted living. And um, as Bill mentioned, these are two things that um, while they do provide ratings, they, they do not operate in the same fashion. They definitely don't. So aside from looking at the ratings, which is a snapshot, there really is nothing that beats that visit. That's, Let's talk that, about that. Okay, sure. Well, so it's important uh, to be able to visit the facility. Is this a uh, does uh, 
in, in some ways, it's like follow your instincts. Mm-hmm. Is, there, is this a, a place that you feel comfortable around? Do you see staff engaging with residents in a positive manner? I think it's important to visit if you've got the opportunity at different times of day. I, I think mealtime is a great time mm-hmm. to visit because you can see whether or not residents uh, are being attended to by staff or they're being left alone. Some can eat fine by themselves, which is just okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are other people who need assistance in feeding, mm-hmm. and uh, it's important to see whether or not staff are attentive. Uh, it's also important, I think, if you if you can, to visit in the evening or at night. Uh, the numbers of staff that you have to have on uh, in the facility at night is different than during the day, and sometimes uh, staff get a little thin at mm-hmm. night. Yeah. And it's important to see whether or not the, there are adequate staffing throughout the day. And usually, people go during the daytime. It's also important to uh, use your friends and neighbors. What are other people, what experiences do other people have with the facility? So word of mouth is actually pretty good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Remember that when you make a visit to a facility, the facility is trying to sell their facility to you. So they do have folks who who do that, and that's fine. (laughs) Uh, They're trying to present their facility in the best light. It's important to validate that experience with with other things. The last thing, or the one of the, I think the important things to keep in mind as well, uh, and this is just the way it is. Uh, the most important thing is to find a facility where you can re- you can visit regularly. Mm-hmm. the The difference in care that people get in whatever facility, you can have a a five-star, high-quality facility, Mm -hmm. and the residents who get visited regularly get better care than the residents who don't. Mm -hmm. It is a fact of life. So if you're trying to make a decision between facilities, I think it's important that you pick a facility that is closest Mm -hmm. to you. That's exactly right. You know, um, that's that's definitely um, true. And I I also think it's also important to be very realistic. Placing a loved one in a long-term care community, that definitely has bonuses. You know, you have more opportunities for um, socialization. You know, somebody who may have been living alone before may not have been eating as well. There's lots of good things about it. But the reality of it is it's not going to be the same as providing that personal one-on-one care that you may have been providing or currently are providing in a home for a loved one or hired in for help. It's, it's going to be different. So it's important to also have realistic expectations. Right. And so that kind of leads me into my next question for you. And, and oftentimes, you know, when we're doing shows like this, either here or on TV, people often start chiming in about they're dissatisfied with the quality of care or level of care that their loved one is getting at their long-term care community. I, I get those calls. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, how would you ex- expect or suggest that people handle that to get the best positive outcome for their loved one? The The... You'd be surprised at the number of people that I talk to who have a concern about care that have called me that really 
have not talked to the facility about their concerns yes. first. And that, that really is your first line. Well, and it's a fear of reprisal, though. That's I mean, even exactly right. similarly, you know, even with my own school age children, you know, sometimes I may not be happy with how something is going on at school. And then you have to sit there and debate well, do I sit here and be a pain in the butt and complain to the school about X, Y, and Z issue? Because if I do, then I'm going to be known as the problem parent. And mm-hmm. then, you know, will my kid get the same type of treatment as he normally gets? And so right, right. I think we have the same thought process. Right. Well, let me go back to what I was saying earlier in terms of the uh, uh, the squeaky wheel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's true in terms of a problem as well. If you don't say something, yep. uh, then, the, then the problem is not going to be addressed, even by a facility that, that wants to address the problems right. in their care. Uh, I think it's important uh, not only to, if you've observed a problem to speak to the direct care staff about it, but also the, the whoever's the director of nursing mm-hmm. about the problem. Families are invited to fam- to the patient care meetings. Yes, and they have to have those. That's right. They have to have the patient care meetings, but the it's amazing how many families don't go to those meetings. Mm-hmm. And that's an opportunity, even when there's not a problem, to go and at least understand what it is that the facility is trying to do based related to the resident you're concerned about. Mm-hmm. So that's one, is to, is to start with the facility. There's also a program, the, the uh, Long-Term Care Ombudsman Program in the state. Uh, these are not regulatory people, but they're available to support every assisted living facility, every nursing home in the state, uh, and help resolve problems. And the, if you have a concern, about care that a resident is receiving, you can contact the ombudsman and they can be uh, like a mediator yep. in terms of trying to resolve issues around care. So you're not getting the facility in trouble when you do that. No, it's, they no, just no, sort no. Of act They're on in your the facilities all the time yep. anyway, and the facilities know the role of the ombudsman. Mm-hmm. So this is it's kind of a natural part of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, at, a, at a heightened level with a serious concern, you can also file a complaint with uh, the state, and the complaints are filed depending on you have two sources, one for assisted living, another for uh, nursing homes, mm-hmm. and those are with the state agencies that are involved. Those numbers will be posted in the facility, so you can find out what those numbers are. And you get them in your admission packet as That's well. That's exactly right. You can file a complaint with the state. The state is required to investigate complaints. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I get feedback that they're not responsive. They have their own standards they have to apply in terms mm-hmm. of what they can intervene with and what they can't, right. but they do have to, to make an investigation. Um, you can also, if, you're, if you see something that is a severe case of abuse or neglect, you can contact uh, the County Department of Social Services in mm-hmm. North Carolina uh, based, it's whatever county the facility is located in, mm-hmm. and they also can do a, a uh, an investigation into the uh, uh, circumstances of a of a complaint. And then the last thing, and uh, I rarely recommend this, but I have recommended it is it, there are times that it's time to talk to an attorney. Yeah. That uh, that when some bad things happen in facilities. It goes beyond what regulatory responses can be, and you feel like you need to have a representative who uh, who can take action on your behalf. Mm-hmm. And there are there are litigators who who are in the business to address nursing home and assisted living concerns. So 
But the reality of it is, is let's deal with the issues when they're small. Exactly. Bring them up. Exactly. Most long-term care communities want to do the right things for the right reasons. And I agree, I agree with that. I, I, there is some really great care going on out right. there. Right. Unfortunately, in the media, it's the bad things that tend to get sensationalized. And so part of the reason why we do this show is because we want people exactly. to understand the great innovation and, and wonderful care that can be provided, but you are also a partner in their care. Exactly. And, you know, it's also important not to constantly be the complainer and just also offer compliments too because they are so used to just getting the complaints right. um and so you know thank those direct care workers you know j- thank the administrators thank the thank the sales people thank the activities director um they love to hear what they're doing well too right. so that also helps to build a relationship exactly i think one of the things that you just said that i highlight all the time uh, it's the it's the direct care workers in facilities that make that or break them. Make or break them. <laughs> yep. So and and they have hard jobs. Yes, they, they do. have very and they're not very paid well. Difficult jobs and they're not paid well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're they're the people you should be thanking all the people you just talked about, yes, but, but particularly mm-hmm. the direct care uh, workers that that come in and provide the personal hands-on care. That's that, hard work. That people receive, and it's it is hard work. So, if you could just take a moment to tell people how they can contact Friends of Residents in Long Term Care, and um, let sure. us know the website as well. We, we have a website. It's www.forltc.org. Okay. Or you can call nine one nine seven eight two one five three zero. And is this a free service? It is a free service. Wow, you can't beat that. Bill Lamb, thank you so much for coming in. That website again, F-O-R-L-T-C dot org, F-O-R-L-T-C dot org. And that phone number, 919-782-1530. Again, Bill Lamb, Executive Director of Friends of Residents in Long-Term Care. We really appreciate you coming out this evening and sharing some time with us. Well, thank you for having me. Excellent. A quick break and back. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Claggett from Transitions Guiding Lights, here's your host, Jason Kong. News Radio 680 WPTF, you're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. And Nicole, we're going to revisit a topic that is always important, and that has to do with home care. Yes, yes. Home care is definitely near and dear to my heart. And the reality of it is, is most people would love to age in place in home. Yes. If, if, if they have an option, that's where they want to be. So I'm super excited to have us today, have with us today, Tom Arnold. He is the CEO and owner of Right at Home right here in Raleigh. And um He's going to be talking to us about those transitions because transitional care is something that we're hearing a lot more about. It's making even waves onto mainstream media. And really, you know, people are going home sicker than they've ever gone home before. And really, how do we piece that together? And how do we make sure that they have a positive experience and not end up right back into that hospital system? So welcome, Tom. Thank you, Nicole. It's great to be here. So you have been with Right at Home for, or owned Right at Home here in Wake County for how many years now? Uh, we just celebrated 10 years. Wow. That's 
a long time. Ten years, yeah. So your anniversary and my little Guiding Lights anniversary are pretty close together. We're almost yeah. on 10 years as well. So yeah, I, I think it's about when we've known each other. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we, we've met, I think, a few times, right? Yeah. <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about your interest in transitional care. Well, transitional care has become a, a real hot topic or buzzword in the industry. Um, hospital and rehab stays are becoming shorter and shorter. Mm-hmm. For a number of reasons, and we can we, you know we can elaborate more on that. But as people transition from a hospital stay or a rehab stay, they're they're going home. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times they go directly home from the hospital and bypass rehab or a skilled nursing facility, and that that creates some issues. Obviously, as you mentioned, going home sicker. Obviously, they're going home with care required mm-hmm. uh, when they meet with that discharged nurse or the doctor in the hospital, they're given that packet of material that says, these are the things that we want you to do when you get home to help with your recovery. Well, how the importance of that is, do they really do it? And how well do they do it? And can they do it on their own? Or do they need the assistance of either family members or private caregivers or professional caregivers? And a huge hole in the system, frankly, is we're sending them home and we may have an idea of what home is, but we ha- may not have any idea what exactly. the conditions are in the home. I mean, for mobility purposes, clutter, cleanliness, tripping hazards, I mean, the whole nine yards. Well, of course, my business deals primarily with the senior population, mm-hmm. and people with disabilities, and a tremendous number of seniors today live alone. Mm-hmm. So if they go into a hospital or a rehab environment, they may be there for days or weeks or even months, and when they go home, that home environment is not appropriate at that point for them to move back in there without some, some changes or, or some assistance. There may not be any food in the refrigerator. You know, uh, Some of the pitfalls in the transitional care s- start with understanding that discharge plan and what you're required to do when you leave the hospital. And competency is a huge issue. I mean, and, and this is a big piece of the conversation that we're hearing out there in the healthcare world is writing things and teaching people what they have to do in the way that they understand. I mean, to you and I, it would be old hat to hear, well, this person needs a two-person assist transfer. But if you're a family member who has literally just gone through, you know, their loved one coming out of having a really bad pneumonia and being in intensive care for a period of days and now being sent home and being told to do it number of things this it's like being dropped on mars and it's it's very overwhelming one of the one of the big pitfalls is uh medication Mm -hmm. um i kind of look at myself as an example i come from this from two perspectives (laughs) from a patient perspective because i am a senior Uh and i've had numerous hospital stays in my life i mean i'm a cancer survivor i'm a lifelong heart patient so i've had a lot of that transitional care in my own world but I also run a company that provides care for people in transition. So I, I come fr- to this subject from two different perspectives. Medication management is, is a concern. For example, if you're a heart patient and you're on a blood thinner, let's say you're on Xarelto or, or you're on uh, Coumadin, mm-hmm. and you go in for a heart procedure, you're taken off that blood thinner when you go into the hospital. You may be taken off some of your other medications as well. When you come out of that hospital stay, you may be on new medications. And that reconciliation between the old and the new medications, often there's, there's a disconnect. You're dealing with new doctors versus the doctors that you dealt with prior to going into the hospital. 
So that's where family members and professionals can really assist the patient because if you don't reconcile that medication, one out of five seniors today, people are on Medicare, after a hospital stay are readmitted within 30 days. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a real drive on to keep people out of the hospitals because insurance regulations won't pay for people going back into the hospital within that 30-day period. But that's a startling number. One out of five go back into the hospital within 30 days. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of those readmissions are, are preventable. Right. Well, and medication's a huge issue. And, you know, huge I, issue. I, one, uh, geri- medical therapy management or medication therapy management um, geriatric pharmacist that I know, you know, she, she, she said something to me one day. And, you know, I kind of got to thinking even about my own life. She said, you know, the pharmacists at you know, Walgreens, Walmart, CVS, you name whatever pharmacist you're talking about here. She said, we learn to count in kindergarten. That's not what our job is. We want you to stop us and to talk to us about the medications that you need to take. But they look so busy back there counting pills that people don't want to actually ask a question. And, you know, one of the biggest issues is filling medications at all because people are home and then they don't have the proper transportation to even get to the, the, the pharmacy to fill the medications. And then also, to your point, the reconciliation of what I was on before I went to the hospital and then things got changed. You still have your old pills at home, so then you start taking what they prescribed you in the hospital plus what you had at home before, plus every over-the-counter and herbal that, you know, your sister from, um, you know, Oregon says you should be taking. And now you're taking a whole mess of stuff that's all interacting with each other and causes you to go right back in. Uh, very, very true, and and I, I tell people when you're coming out of a hospital environment mm-hmm. into transitional care, you need to take charge of your of your own life. Meaning that you need to ask questions. Mm-hmm. You need to get that second and third opinion. You need to make sure you need to understand that discharge plan, what the doctors want you to do. And somebody asked me the other day, what what can I do to become to stop from being readmitted? And I said, very simple. Take your medications, understand what medications are you required to take, follow up on your doctor's appointments, have good nutrition and hygiene when you get home, and have a family caregiver or a professional caregiver there to assist you that can help you understand what you need, you need an advocate. You need an advocate. An advocate, exactly. No matter you who you are. Advocate for, if, advocate if, for you. if I went to the hospital today, I really need somebody there with me to help me understand everything that's going to happen when they tell me to go home. Because it's just like when you go into the doctor, you have in your mind a thousand questions you want to ask. And then when you see the white coat, everything flies out of your head and you walk out and you're like, crap, I wanted to ask him X, Y, and Z and you forgot. So truly. A- absolutely. And if, if you do those things, there's a good possibility your recovery time is going to go well. It's going to be shorter than possibly anticipated. But you have to, you have to make sure that you follow all those, those requirements that are given to you when you leave that, that hospital or rehab environment. So I would love to uh, bridge into a conversation about the role of community-based care and how that can actually assist with the transition. Good point. Uh, oftentimes when people go home from care, from a hospital, you enter into an, an, a new area of care, which includes possibly home health, home care, a hospice, a PT and OT, physical and occupational therapy. Uh, a neighbor of mine had a hemorrhagic stroke recently, and he was in the hospital for weeks, and he's now home, but he's got 
physical and occupational therapy coming in every day. He's got nurse care coming in. So that transitional care includes working with a new community base of, of health care workers. Yeah, yeah, that's something that you do have to keep in mind. We've got Tom Arnold here in the studio. He is the CEO and owner of Right at Home, and we will continue our conversation right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. With your co host, Nicole Claykitt, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Thank you for joining us this evening. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. We have Tom Arnold in the studio. He is the CEO and owner of Right at Home, and we're talking about home care, transitional care. And Nicole, we uh, just brought up the subject of community care, community-based care, uh, right before the break. Yeah, so, you know, we were talking about on the break, you know, the fact that um, hospitalizations are shorter and people are going home sicker. And before we bridge into really how to interface with those community organizations, let's talk a little bit about why that's happening. Well, medical technology has improved incredibly over the last several years. I'll give you an example. I went in the hospital um, several years ago for what's called a cardiac ablation. That's Mm -hmm. to get rid of uh, arrhythmia and AFib. Uh, That was about a three-day stay and about an eight-hour procedure, which included catheters and other Mm -hmm. things. Um, That procedure today is an outpatient procedure. I was going to say, yeah, I know somebody who had that recently. In and out the same day. So technology, uh, another good example is is, uh, prostate removal. Prostate Mm -hmm. removal years ago used to be a 7 to 14 they stay wow. a large blood loss. Today, prostate removal is done with a robot, robotic mm-hmm. surgery, and you often can be in and out the same day. Same thing with gallbladder and other. Mm-hmm. So hospital stays are shorter because of technology. Also, mm-hmm. insurance regulations. They have what they call that uh, 24-hour stay. If you're in with less than 24 hours, it's considered an outpatient stay, and it doesn't have the same insurance requirements as, as an inpatient stay. That, so they get you in and out in a hurry. Well, and that makes me laugh. You know, I have had three children and the first children I wanted out of that hospital, first child I wanted out of that hospital as fast as I could. By the time I had that third child, I was like, how many hours will, because they wanted to send me home within like 12 hours. How many hours will my insurance pay? They're like 36. I'm leaving at hour 36 because when I get home, I have this one and two other yeah. little itty bitties at home. And I I need a rest. So truly, yes, things have things have greatly changed. And so, you know, technology is a piece of it. You know, I'm working with a medical device company out of RTP where they have robots that literally there could be a doctor at Johns Hopkins University working with a doctor in UCLA operating, you know, in a in a, in a ward of, you know, Duke Raleigh Hospital on a patient with no physician even in the room through the robots exactly. doing a technical procedure. I mean, and it's amazing, scary kind of, but amazing at the same time that, um, you know, access to certain levels of care is, is actually improving just because of the way our technology has changed. Well, it's the same thing with hip surgery and knee surgery. Um, as us seniors are living longer, mm-hmm. uh, we end up with ailments that we never dreamed of 
you know, generations ago, yep. you know, our, our hips fail, our knees fail. That's how he was saying all different cha- interchangeable parts. Interchangeable <laughs> parts. Yeah. And, but when you go home, there's a certain amount of recovery time required. You, no matter f- what. Physical, occupational therapy, um, the medications, the new medications you're on. And this is where what you call community-based care comes into being. You may enlist the services of a home care provider mm-hmm. like, like ourselves, uh, a home health provider, occupational so there's a whole team of people in this community-based care that enter into the picture once you're home to help you recover and get back on your feet into your normal daily routine. And then, of course, then there's the onus of how to pay for it. And people make the assumption that Medicare pays for everything. But the reality of it is most of the care in the community that you're going to receive, whether it's in a, in a long-term care facility or in your home, typically comes out of pocket. A lot of it comes out of pocket. Uh, home care, for example, uh, is not covered by Medicare. Uh, it is covered by Medicaid, uh, but it's also covered by long-term care insurance, some VA mm-hmm. insurance. So there are some insurance that do pay, but, but a large portion of it, as you mentioned, is private pay. And a lot of these folks need custodial care. It's, it's just really exactly. care while they're recovering. So then enters in that role of that family caregiver. Well, it's somebody just to help them prepare meals and mm-hmm. do light housekeeping or go to the store. Go get, pick, pick up, up the pills. Yeah, exactly. Uh, transport them to their doctor's appointments because those follow-up doctor's appointments are very important. So... Where, where do you see, one of the things that I see often falling apart in the community-based care realm is that there really doesn't seem to ever be a true air traffic controller, sort of a pinpoint organization that's interacting with all the organizations that are placed in a person's home following discharge to make sure that goals are being achieved and that the person has a positive outcome so they then don't bounce right back into the hospital. Uh- very good point because it, it's, it's kind of what they call the silo effect. Everybody operates in mm-hmm. their own their own little world, and I think that's where families, um, loved ones, advocates, geriatric care managers, uh, a home care provider that can provide the advocacy, their nurse or mm-hmm. their social worker, these people need to step in and kind of oversee the connection of all these community-based entities together. Now. That's improved a lot over the last few years. Home health, home care, uh, a lot of these other organizations are now working very close together. And they're collaborating with the hospital employees, the discharge nurse, the doctors before they ever leave the hospital. Mm-hmm. So that plan of care is established by the time they get home. And then, they're, and then that, that communication organization is set up so that it all kind of kind of comes together. Where's the linkage, though, hooking up with that primary care physician? Because once that person is discharged back to home, their primary care physician hopefully is the person that's now going to be reinvolved. Do they get connected, or is that still sort of a missing piece of the puzzle? Uh, well, the primary care physician often is kind of taken out of the picture because when you go in for specialized care, you're with us. Too many a different, different specialists. Yeah. Different practice. You know, your, your primary care physician is not going to replace your hip right. or your knee. Uh, it, it's a specialist that does that, so that communication often kind of falls through the cracks. Mm-hmm. But, it, but again, it, it comes back to the patient themselves need to advocate for themselves. They need to ask the right questions. When when you leave that hospital, it's it's funny. When I've left the hospital before, that discharged nurse comes in, sets down at your bedside, and says, "Mr. Arnold, you're getting ready to go home and sign this, sign this, sign mm-hmm. this." 
and we want you to do this, this, and this. And, of course, you're coming out of anesthesia. Your, <laughs> your head's cloudy. And the first yeah. question they ask you, do you have a ride home? And do you have somebody that can stay with you for the next 72 hours? And, mm-hmm. and, and if, you, if, you, if you don't, you need to make sure that somebody's there. So you've got all these questions being thrown at you. And if you don't have somebody there to help you with that, it can be overwhelming. It really can. So talk to us a little bit about the place that private duty in-home care has in this whole piece of the puzzle. Well, private duty in-home care is, is what our organization does mm-hmm. at, right at home. And we're kind of, I call us the mop-up crew. We're the kind of the people <laughs> that go in there. Home health comes in, uh, uh, you know, an hour at a time. They send their nurse in. The physical therapist comes in and out. But the home care person can be in there, the caregiver, for example, for long hours, you mm-hmm. know, anywhere from three hours to maybe round the clock. And they're in there helping with with mobility. They're helping with meal preparation. They're helping with toileting. They're helping with bathing and all of these requirements that the individual themselves has difficulty doing. And that's that's where home care really comes into being. In other words, they're the one that's taking, transporting them back and forth to the hospital. They're the ones that's taking notes. Uh, we use what we call a change in condition protocol. And when our caregiver goes into the home, they're like an airline pilot. They go through a checklist of, okay, is there any change in condition? And it's a list of about 15 different things. And if there's a noticeable change in condition, then they alert our nurse. And by noticing these changes early on, sometimes it eliminates uh, uh, hospitalization down the road by being able to understand that there's, there's something going on. Definitely. And so if folks want more information about Right at Home and how to get a hold of your services, how would they go about doing that? Well, they can go to our website, which is uh, wake-reh.com, um, or they can Google us, uh, just Right at Home, mm-hmm. go, on, go online. Um, we're in a, in a lot of, there's a lot of, a lot of sources. I mean, our literature is in hospitals and doctor's offices, and there's, um, so there's a lot of ways to secure information. And and we're, we're not the only ones out there. I mean, there's a lot of really good providers uh, that do what we do. and uh, Find the right fit for sure. So, exactly. you know, um, we're coming up upon the caregiver summits. And, you know, I'm, I'm really starting to ramp that up, Jason. And that is a great opportunity for folks that are listening to come on out and actually learn a lot about the community-based organizations that exist, and as well as long-term care options. Yeah, finding out about this stuff before you're in a crisis is so key, Nicole. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just getting that information ahead of time. And, you know, there's no better place to do that than the caregiver summits. Yeah, and, you know, and if folks are, you know, sitting in a situation where their loved one is adamant about never moving into a long-term care facility, and you're sitting here thinking, well, geez, they have XYZ diagnosis, and this is going to be a situation where they're going to need a lot more care down the road. It is never too early to really start gathering information and trying to prepare to care because trying to make a decision at the bedside upon discharge is way too overwhelming, especially when you're about to come home with that very fragile human being. And I, and I can give you a great example of that. We had a um, gentleman that walked into our office about four years ago, and he said, I don't need any care right now. But he said, my wife passed away recently. He said, I took care of her for years. She was... Uh, totally bedridden. And he said, I've had cancer a couple of times. And he said, it's probably going to come back. And he said, I want to go ahead and set everything up. He said, I want you to have all my information. So all I have to do is pick up the phone and call you. The assessment's been done Mm -hmm. and you're ready to provide care. And I know it's going to happen. And Mm -hmm. sure enough, about a year later, we got that phone call and he prepared ahead of time. 
that was easy button. Yeah, that, that's exactly. the that's the way to go about it. Yeah, that level of preparation is it's a tremendous gift for yourself and for your family. We've had Tom Arnold here in the studio, CEO and owner of Right at Home. Thank you so much for coming in this evening. We appreciate having welcome. you on. Appreciate it. Again, you can find more information at wake rah dot com. Wake rah dot com. We got to get out of here on behalf of Nicole Cleggett. I am Jason Kong. Thanking you for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a wonderful night. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. For more information, log on transitionslifecare.org.